Welcome to this episode of the ProPlayer.com podcast. Delighted to be joined today by Ellis Bellamy, Head of Recruitment at Cobalt Sports Management. Cobalt is a sports management company in London, England. Today we're going to talk to Ellis about his start in football, his time as a player and his move into the recruitment and agent industry, an industry that perhaps sometimes is misunderstood or people want to know a lot more about. Well, this is going to be a really interesting conversation today from a different perspective of the professional game. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Ellis. Oh, thank you for having me, mate. Thank you. Uh, really excited about this one, my friend, especially when I looked at the website and saw you know, the two major facets of your of your company and, and your business being prepared and protect. I thought that was absolutely superb in terms of like the holistic support you put around players. Hopefully we get into that later. But also, you know, for you as a, as a FIFA agent and, uh, you know, a former academy coach, former college soccer coach, UEFA B qualified coach yourself, your insight today are going to be uh, fantastic for a lot of aspiring people coming up into the game, whatever path they choose. So I want to kick it off really with um, with, with how you started. And uh, obviously we were together a little bit at Cardiff City, we get on to that, but your playing days maybe and your love for the game and how it all started for you really. Yeah, I think I've always been fortunate. I was born into football, you know, obviously with my dad playing and moving around all different types of cities, you know, it was from a young age is all I knew. Um, and, you know, I had a great upbringing, you know, and football has always been a very, very important part of that. Um, and yeah, just, it's a game I've always had a massive passion for. Um, and I just think it's when you, when you've been around it your whole life, you kind of find it crazy that some people don't enjoy football. I think it's just the best game possible. Um, and I've always just had that love for it. I say that my brother, who's four years younger than me, can't stand it. You know, the same like upbringing as me, completely the same, but can't stand it. My sister's probably exactly the same. So, but I've always just going into stadiums and just watching football for me has always just been like the best thing. You know, I've just always loved it. I can tell even now as you recant the stories, the love is, it's much more, it's, it's visceral. You can see it, you can feel it, like it's in your blood. Uh, certainly my my early memories of you as a player, I think we were the first cross paths at the, um, in the under-15s team at Cardiff City when you are in the academy there. Uh, and I remember back to, you know, some really spirited performances where, you know, the chips were down or perhaps it wasn't going our way and, and you would tend to roll your sleeves up and, and it always seemed to matter that little bit much more to you than than some others. Uh, everybody was professional, of course, but it always seemed to matter to you just a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that was, you know, if I'm being completely honest, I was nowhere near as talented as a lot of the other kids. You know, you had so many players that technically and tactically were miles ahead of me. So I think, like, for me, in order to compete, passion was, like, the bear. It was everything for me. I had to bring that. I had to work as hard as I could just because I was a very late developer. It was all due on just pure, like, passion for the game and just, you know, just wanting to do the best I, I really could. And it's only till like, you get to this age, you sit back and you go, yeah, right, I get what coaches were saying, like, work on this, work on that. <laughs> I was honestly never needing it in terms of technical ability. I just wasn't. Um, I wish I knew what I know now. Yeah. But at some point, you know, you're so grateful to have those opportunities. And I was very lucky, you know, I was in some really good environments, worked with some top, top coaches. And even though I didn't make it as a footballer, it put me in great stead for life. You know, the habits I was taught and, you know, even stuff like being on time, you know, making sure you're on time, making sure you speak to people with respect. You know, it's allowed me then in later life to 
you know, just it's put me in a great position to be able just to speak to people, you know, especially with my job now. So much is how you conduct yourself, you know, how you treat people. Uh, and I've you know, my experience in football and coming through the academy and even with the Welsh setup, you know, I've got so much respect for the people, um, you know, my coaches, everyone, everyone involved in those setups because, you know, it put me in a great position for life. And no doubt it's it's given you the platform and the stage, you know, to be successful at what you're doing now. And as as you say, can you can you think back to those times, perhaps in some of those youth coaches in the Welsh setup you mentioned, all those kinds of people? What what did they do so right? Like there's been a lot of aspiring coaches listening to us today who are trying to walk that path and want to get involved in youth national teams or professional club academies, whatever it might be. Can you remember what they what they did that was like so right? that that gave you those feelings and still you hold so dear today? Um, I think a lot of like the best coaches I work with, um, things appeal to different people, right? And different characters. And I think a lot of the coaches I had a lot of like, I learned the most from is because they appeal to me and my characteristics. Oh, sorry, I should say personality. Um, but they knew that as well. They knew like certain things would get me, you know, get my mind working, you know, and, you know, if I bring up an example of Lawrence, for instance, someone you know, Lawrence Haller, um, I loved his passion for football. So the fact that he was so um, passionate, but like I would always go to Lawrence and speak to him because he would always give me a stat. He'd always mm-hmm. give me something that I didn't know. And I, I love that because I was so obsessed with football. If someone gave me something I didn't know, I had to like go and search that up. And he was great like that. He would give me stats about you know, Atalanta, for instance, producing yeah. the European footballers at that time with their academy. So I would search that, go home, even as a 15-year-old kid. Yeah. Um, I just loved someone who had that passion for the game that I had. But mm. also, on another side of it, you know, there was also coaches that um, I really respect now. Perhaps at the time, you didn't respect as much in the sense of, like, they tell you how it is. They were very strict and clear with you. Um Perhaps you could say Oshin, Oshin Roberts at times. Yeah. Um, Oshin was very firm with me at times when I deserved it. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes when you're that age, you can sulk a little bit. If someone tells you the truth and tells you, no, you need to work on this. Uh, I always remember him telling me, you know, you need to mix your game up. You're too direct. You get your head down. You know, you're just running at people. You know, you're going to run into certain areas where, you know, you've got to be more on the half turn because it opens the game up. I would always take that as an offence. It was, oh, what do you mean? You know, what do you mean? I've always got my head down. I'm, you know, just running at people. But when you get to this age, you realise, I wish I took that on board. I really wish I was more open and coachable at times. Um, But what I liked was, is that they always had that freedom to tell me openly. You know, they always told me exactly what they thought to benefit me and try and help me. Um, And I think, you know, that's, that's something I always look at. And I think, you know, they're the, they're the coaches that really help you because it's up to you whether you take it on board or not. You know, it's up to you whether you take on that information. But the fact that it didn't go, they went straight to the detail and told me exactly what I needed to work on. You know, I really, really look back now and thought I was really fortunate. You know, especially mm-hmm. if I look at some of the coaching now, you know, it's some bits I see from certain academies and people are too afraid to say what they think. You know, a lot of coaches mm-hmm. are too afraid to get straight to the point. Um, and I found with a lot of coaches that I work with, from, you know, from all different types of setups, they told you exactly what you need to work on. It might not be what you want to hear at the time, but if you took mm. on that information, it would benefit you in the long run. 
you mentioned Oshan Roberts there. It's going to be a blockbuster episode. Hopefully, we're going to have Oshan on later in the series, and uh, without doubt, one of the best ever uh, for many, many reasons. But I think what you're saying there about kind of connecting, coaches connecting with young players and, and giving valuable information that they can immediately, maybe not process immediately, but certainly put a value on, like it's going to help them. Um, what you seem to be saying is if young players are listening, if they can maybe push that pride a bit to the side and, and accept that feedback, it's going to benefit them in the long run. Is that kind of what you're saying there? Yeah, for sure. And I think a big aspect is knowing what you are as well, you know, knowing what you can bring. And I think for me as a young player, I know now, technically, I was nowhere near good enough. Like, tactically, I was. I understood the game tactically. Yeah, you did. But I think more in terms of, because of my inequalities technically, that would let me down sometimes. Um, and I know what coaches meant now. You know, when you start to understand the game and you start mm. to understand, have a better understanding, you understand what they meant. So a lot of the times they would say to me, Ellis, we know technically you can't get into these pockets, right? So we're going to play you as a forward today, run channels for us. You know, as difficult as you can because that's what you can bring to the team. Yeah. Now, instead of having your ego get in the way and say, "Oh, what do you mean I can't do this?" You know, other players are doing it, and you're letting them do it. Why? Why have I got to do this? Mm. You then understand actually, certain players offer something completely different, mm. and don't take that as a negative. That's just your qualities, and they're trying to highlight your qualities by putting you in that area. So, um, yeah, I think um, as you get older, you realise, you know what? If I would have done that and stuck to that, it would have been so beneficial for my game. Yeah, but, you know, everyone wants to be the superstar. Everybody wants to be the, especially when you're that age. It's just you've got to sometimes put it to the side and go. Do you know what? You know, there's so many top top players that play at the highest level because they know their weaknesses, but they mm. also really identify their strengths. Um, and that's something I wish I took on board a lot earlier. I think that's fantastic insight. It, you know, for young players listening now, if they can perhaps get to grips with the type of player they are and potentially the player they'll become and and maximize their super strengths but uh yeah perhaps not just try to be like the players we see on um you know youtube clips and social media all the time and you know i'm, I'm forever involved in involved in youth coaching again now and i'm forever listening to people talk about neymar and no disrespect to neymar but i'm not sure he's actually gone on and delivered uh, on the potential that he had but he is a great youtube clip uh you know example so um yeah dead right i think that's fantastic um yeah, I will say for you as well, mate, I do remember you sticking a couple in the top corner away at Forest and Leicester. I'm never going to forget those. So, yes, I can I can understand what you're saying technically, but you still can strike a ball as well. You seem to have this um, really conscientious and mature way of looking at it now. Do you think you've always had that strength? Uh, you, you mentioned there maybe not being able to see it all at the start when you were 15, but I my my experience of you was that you were ahead of the game in that you did understand things that other people maybe in their early teens didn't. Do you think that's something that's helped you now going into your career in your early to mid twenties? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think it's um, you know what I've always thought is, especially as as I've worked in this industry, is take on information, take on what people are telling you. You know, especially if people have done it and you know they're older, but they've had joy or success in the industry take on board what they're saying because they're giving you nuggets of information that that's why they've been successful. So, you know, so draw from that, take as much information as you can. And I think I've always been fortunate that even at a very young age, I always remember, you know, I was very fortunate that my dad would take me to the training grounds. You know, I'd get to go to Liverpool, I'd get to go into Newcastle, just, just alongside him. 
And I remember just being like a sponge. I didn't talk. You know, I was silent just because I wanted to pick up people's habits. Why were they doing this? You know, and just learn this. Because I was in all of them. I was in all of all these like elite level athletes. Of course. So I think you take so much, you know, from that experience. And I think you get disappointed because when you go, go into a playing environment with coaches, ego gets in the way so much. Mm. You know, your ego where you think, oh, no, but I can be this. I can be this top player. Because when you play, you always try and believe you're the best or you're one of the best. But I think sometimes I look back and I think, Do you know what, that hindered my learning. There was really? times where I could have been more receptive and took on more information because I was trying to be something I wasn't. And, you know, mm. what you just mentioned then, um, I was a nightmare for... I'd watch a Delta Rat, you know, I'd watch him on YouTube or in school and I'd think, wow, like the scales, yeah. tricks. Yeah. But then if a coach would say, you know, for instance, watch Mikel Antonio, look how he holds the ball up, look how much of a nightmare he is, I wouldn't bother. And yeah. I look back now at this age and I think, who's had the better career? You look at the two. Who's had the more mm. successful career? You'd say Antonio. You yeah, know, for he's, sure. He's won trophies now. He's played in the Premier League for so many years. You know, had great success out of the game. Surat was fantastic, but he was a shooting star. You know, he went, had a great year, then kind of just faded away, you know. Um, don't get me wrong, ridiculous ability, but who made the most out of their ability? Mm. And I wish I looked at the other aspect where you think, well, do you know what? Someone like Antonio perhaps isn't as pleasing on the eye. But, I mean, look at the career he's had. You know, he's, he's the man who's going to look in the mirror and say, do you know what? I got more out of my career than someone like Surat. Mm. I think as a man, you appreciate that a lot more. You get older. As you make your move now, perhaps away from the field and into that, your your business now is in helping people achieve their potential and you know be all they can be. And you're managing players and you're and, and you're looking after them. From um, I want you to talk a little bit about your 360 approach that that you've got with the players. But how hard is that? How have you had a situation maybe with players you're representing where perhaps they do feel like they're they're a different type of player, or you can see that if they just accepted this one point, even after they signed their first professional contract, they would be so much better off. Is that a difficult conversation to have? Um, I think my approach has always been, you know, from the very start, is be brutally honest to people. You know, I find mm. players, a majority of the time, just want brutal honesty. You know, mm. tell them what you've seen. Even if they disagree with it, if they hear one or two points that they think is true or there's truth in it, they'll listen to you and they'll appreciate your opinion because... Mm. Especially in my industry, I see a lot of cheerleaders. There's a lot of cheerleaders, people who say you're the best player, you're the best player in your team, you're mm. going to get a move next week, you know, you're outstanding, everything's great. But you see players gradually lose respect for them because there's times where they won't perform, there's times where they won't deliver, but they want to know if you're telling them the right information. You know, are you, are you trying to help their career and trying to progress them? And I've always felt if a player for me has a bad game, I'm going to identify the issues. I'm going to identify, you know, why that might be. And I'm going to give you my honest assessment. You know, you might not want to hear it at the time, but I'm mm. doing you a service if I try and hide away from those points. If I'm brutally honest with you, because it comes yeah. from where I care, you listen. Um, I just find there's so many people now and so many agents that are cheerleaders because they're afraid oh, if I say something, he might not like, he might go elsewhere or, yeah. you know, he might look for someone who wants to tell him that. But, in, in the long run, you'll lose them anyway. You know, you'll lose that player anyway. You've just got to be so honest and say, right, today might not have been what we wanted. These are the reasons why I think why. But if you work on these areas and, you know, you listen and you know, even stuff like, you know, knowing what they're doing off the pitch, you know, knowing what their environment's like, it all contributes to what you see on the pitch. 
there's so much to get into here. This is fascinating. And I'm sure people listening will, will be like hoping we ask the right questions here. But how, how, so first of all, let's start with, let's start with maybe players or families or young people who are starting to get into this world and maybe are choosing agents. They might not know the difference between someone who's going to be a cheerleader, as you said, and someone who's going to be honest, because I'm sure everybody starts out, you know, with the, with the, with the greatest intentions or at least the best sales pitch. How, how, how would you, what would you advise them? What kind of questions should they ask? How can they make sure they're getting into a good agent relationship early on? Let's start there. That's a good question. Um, first of all, it's different personalities, right? So now I've touched on it. There's some parents and players that want cheerleaders. They want to be told, you know what, you're incredible. You know, they want that, um, I guess, massage their ego. You know, they want to hear that. Now, that's always alarm bells for me. You know, as soon as I see that, I think, right, you know, that's that's concerning. Um, I like it when I walk into the room and the player and the family ask me questions like, what can you do to develop it? You know, how can you, um, you know, what are you going to put in place to help push his career forward? You know, they're the questions you hear and think, do you know what, that's a great question. Because it's my job to try and help and facilitate that. But the fact you're talking about progression instead of moves and all the other factors, that's really Good important. Start. I see so many agents, and it's absolute nonsense. I've seen one a couple of weeks ago, 10-year plan. It's a 10-year plan. This is where you're going to be in five years' time. This is where you're going to be in two years' time. And in 10 years, bang, Premier League. And I say to anyone, it's absolute nonsense. Uh, what happens in two weeks' time you do your ACL? Is, is that the same plan? Yeah. Rip it up and start again? Um, you know, no one has the crystal ball. No one does. Uh, if we'd be doing lottery numbers if, if 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 we did, you know, we don't have the yeah. there's a lot of top top agents and top top scouts that we you know see certain things and it's all promising. Now we all look for factors that we like, but anything can happen in that time frame. You know, anything can happen, um, and it's just calculated risks. Everything's a calculated risk. You want to limit the risk factors, but it's always a risk. Ultimately, it's always yeah. a risk. But I think the biggest thing I look for now, when it was my mistake when I first started, when I first started, it was based on talent. Watch a game, you know, you see the player who stands out. Okay, you know, I, I would like to recruit that type of player. I'll work with them because, you know, the ability is there. I think more now, it's about character, probably more than anything. You know, a player that perhaps you might not be, you know, the first in terms of talent, you know, maybe third or fourth. But their character, the way they carry themselves, you know, their personality, that for me, you know, I see more and more is getting just, it's what's getting people to the very top because there's so many factors along the way where if they don't have that personality, you know, they can't, they can't get over difficult circumstances or setbacks. They don't make it, you know, they don't make it. And it's especially the ones that have been hyped up and been told they're fantastic from an early age. They're not used to rejection. They're not, they're not used to failure. And, I find those players that are perhaps not top of the group in and around it, but then they start to kick on. They can just overcome so many circumstances. And yeah. it's like survival of the fittest. You know, I find with a lot of young players now, it's mentally who's the strongest, who can come over the most circumstances, who can play in different systems. Uh, and it goes back to my point of the 10-year plan. You know, you can have different coaches that have a different system and you might not suit that. You'll have different coaches that perhaps, you know, want to play very high intensity. You, know, you don't want to play a number ten, but you're a you're a number ten. You know, it's 
fight being adaptable, being very, very adaptable. And I think the best players, they suit them so many different systems and so many different coaches because they can adapt. The adversity piece, I think, is huge. I know we know a lot more about mental health support in 2023 than we did, you know, way back in the 2000s or the 90s, I'm sure. Uh, and this is a whole hot topic debate for some for somebody else I know. But do you feel when you go into football clubs now, having been in a, a, a football club yourself as, a, as an apprentice and a player, do you feel like football clubs are preparing those 16 to 19 or even 23-year-old boys for or girls for what they are about to face? Because I'll be honest, sometimes I feel like I want to pick the phone up to, to the lads who were there in the 16s and the 18s with me and at Cardiff and, and kind of not apologise, but like you said before, I wish I knew what I knew now back then because this is their life and their apprenticeship. Do you think that we're better now at preparing these young lads and girls for the adversity they're going to face, as you mentioned there? I'll go back to when I was playing about 10 years ago and then go to now. And I think 10 yeah. years ago, the way I look back now, it's an elite environment, right? Elite means extremely difficult to get into that professional environment. Yeah. Um, so it's always going to be challenging. And I think everyone's trying to sometimes pluck up the ideal situation. And I look back at you know my education and the coaches I had, you know, they were so helpful. You know, a lot of coaches, you know, outside the work, would always, you know, check in on you, give you phone calls. You know, you were fantastic at that. Um, and I was very, very grateful, you know, very, very grateful. And I think, you know, when you get released, you know, it is very, very difficult because if you, it's your dream as a player, you know, it was what you aspired to be. And then it's that, oh, what am I going to do next? You know, which is always going to be alarming. You know, it's always going to be alarming. But I, I was very fortunate in terms of my, like, home environment. You know, I never had that, you know, ridiculous pressure if you had to be a footballer. It was, mm. you know, proud of you. Whatever you achieve, you know, is really important to us, but you're doing this for you. And mm. I was lucky that, you know, my dad, he says it as it is, you know, when yeah. he was with me, he said, you know, I had the opportunity to trial elsewhere. And he said, listen, I don't think, and I've been around the game a long time, I don't think you're going to have a great career, if I'm being honest. Mm. You know, mm. if you have everything you have, you know, you might make it as perhaps a National League player. But even then, you're gonna to have to get a job afterwards. You know, you'll be yeah, moved from yeah. place to place. Um, where if you went into say agency, for instance, or coaching, you know, you can mm. have a head start on a lot of people that perhaps Absolutely. kept going with the dream but didn't quite make it. And that yeah. hurt me. You know, it hurt me because it was the truth. But yeah. I'm so grateful now that I listened because yeah, he, he was right. You know, he was right. And you know, I was very fortunate to have that. Now I go back to today's generation from what a lot of what I see and yeah, they're still ridiculously talented players but I do feel for coaches you know I watch yeah. coaches every Saturday and I know they're struggling to word what they want to say I know a lot of the time they can't be brutally honest because mm. I feel like we've almost gone safeguarding has gone mad in a lot of ways yeah um, and I'm very fortunate with my job I get to go to tournaments so you'll go to see Argentina's best under 17, Spain's best under 17, Japan's, you know, and how they do it. And, you know, you, you look at a lot of the Spanish teams, the coaches shouting, screaming, you know, very, very passionate. But, you know, the players, listen, they take on board what they mm. want. You know, you look at the Japanese teams, for instance, you know, no silence, dead silent. Everyone listens mm. to the coaches, very calm. And I almost look at our environment at times and I think, 
you know, so many coaches are afraid to say what they want to say. Um, mm. Even if it comes from, you know, which more often than not is, it's a place of, if it's good meaning, you know, they want players to just take on this information to help them. And I think sometimes, I think we've gone the other way where it's a little bit too protected at times. That's my own personal opinion. I agree with you. I, I agree with you. And I'll tell you, and it's, look, it's a sensitive issue because I think we all, you know, I, I know you and I know you understand, you know, that the safeguarding piece needs to be there and why it needs to be and everything else. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think we have, I think we, I, I think if you look at Britain, British coaches, even, even drill it down to Welsh and Welsh coaches, we aren't silent people. We're, we're famed for our voice and our singing and our uh, over-exuberant celebrations, perhaps, right? We are vibrant people, and, and that is a very British way. And I think that if we are trying to be something we're not, for whatever reason, I don't think you can have that authentic uh, influence on people. Now, where the line is and where the balance is, yeah, you're right. You've got to get it right. It's a really interesting conversation because out here in North America right now, I think we have some coaches at youth level who get it right and some coaches who don't understand what you're saying and they just scream and shout. And for me, uh, this is about the anger. If, you, if you're saying it with anger or if you're saying it vindictively, that's a different matter. I hear that all the time. Every youth field I go to, I hear that. But I think back to my playing days, like you said, and the coaches who really got in there with me, they did raise their voice. They did challenge me. And I wanted to run through brick walls for them. I think you can do it well. And I think it should be done well. I don't think we should be ashamed of saying that. But I think as well, it's more than one way to be an elite footballer. Mm. You know, there's, there's no manual that says, right, follow this manual from an academy and this is going to produce a Premier League footballer. There's so many different ways. Now, look at Luis Suarez, for instance, right, as a footballer. You know, you look at the way he plays, you know, conscious, tenacious, will stamp on your ankles, you know, you'll make things extremely difficult, chases down every single ball. Um, he's, just, he's so unpredictable. And I think a lot of that would come from his environment. You know, he's had to play against men from a very early age. He's had to, you know, look at the way he rides challenges. You know, that's from, a lot of that would be from street football and different ways that has made him become elite. Now, do we produce many of those in this country? I don't see many strikers like that right now. And I think, you know, we've got a lot of very good technical footballers. But you look at, you know, Argentina's World Cup squad that won the World Cup. They were horrible. You know, they were not nice to play against. Yeah. You know, you've got, you know, that you know, the centre backs, the centre backs at Tottenham, you know, Romeo, Romeo, oh, yeah. competitors, yeah. competitors, yeah. winners. And they have that mentality that you have to win. You have mm. to win. Uh, that that is the be all and end all. Um, and I, I remember watching the commentary, I think it was the World Cup semi-final. I think Ian Wright, and I love Ian Wright, by the way, I think he's incredible. But he said, no, I don't like the way the goalkeeper, Martinez, it was before the penalty, he kicked the ball away. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. yeah, yeah so yeah. the Dutch player came forward, he kicked the ball away. And he was like, I'm not too sure I like that. And I was like, but it's everything to win. That's the mentality. It, you have yeah. to win. Sportman-like, and it's not yeah, really, yeah. it comes secondary. You know, it's winning's the first priority. And I think, do we miss a bit of that? And when it comes down to performance, I think... Especially when you play at a lower level like I did, you know, you do really appreciate when people make it hostile and make an environment mm. you think mm. it's horrible to play against. You know, yeah. when when you're going before a game and you're sleeping at night and you play against that horrible team the next day, you can't sleep. You can't Yeah, you're right. You're thinking good. about it. Yeah. Oh, you're in your head thinking, I don't fancy this. But 
I think a lot of the academy games that I see, you're thinking, do they ever feel like that? Do they ever feel no, like that? No, I don't think I don't think they do, mate. And that was my point about like, are we really preparing those youngsters for what they're going to go into? And uh, we're going to have um, you probably remember David Tatonda. We're going to have David Tatonda on a little bit later really? on in the series. He's done his whole career in the uh, you know, League Two and, and League One, and it's going to be really interesting. Great listen guy. to how yeah how that's been for him, obviously coming through the system at Cardiff. Um, but I remember as well. I remember when I was at um, another phenomenal club in Wales, Merthyr Town. Um, we played Warsaw in the first round of the FA Cup. Steve Staunton was the manager, or played, sorry, and Paul Merson was the manager. And we created, or the fans created, that exact environment that you're talking about. And um, it is a big part of football. It is, you know, Merthyr lost the game that day, but there was 10, 15,000 people they will remember trying to make it as hostile as possible for the big team, Warsaw, coming in the FA Cup. So I think... Um, yeah, you're really at the you're really at the the cutting edge of you know between youth development and first team football, and I think it would be remiss of me not to ask you how do you walk that balance? How do you walk that line between taking a young player who needs representation and guidance, and then let's say they do sign a professional contract and they've got to play ten fifteen games in the first team before they're really established or even longer perhaps. How do you walk that balance and switch between the mindsets? Because youth development is one thing, and as you said, professional sport is another, as you've just articulated. Yeah, um, every personality is different, right? I'll treat certain players in different ways. You know, I think a lot of a lot of the top top agents I see, they're man managers. They're really good at managing people. You know, managing their expectations. You know, their characteristics. Um, and I, th- I think that's such a key point. Um, you know, I think the big thing is, especially when they're at phase, when they're around first, you've got to keep them, you know, so extremely focused on football. You know, don't be worrying about too many external factors. You know, the boot sponsorships, you know, the contracts. You want to keep them as focused as possible to make that, you know, make those debuts and make those appearances. Because, you know, I've seen it, you've seen it, so many people have. You can have five or six appearances, and all of a sudden you're gone. You know, cool. it doesn't yeah. mean anything. You know, you've got to keep them in that environment for as long as you can, um, and just try and keep them as focused as they can as well. Because there's so much noise from outside, and you know, so many people I find now. You know, I've had a lot of players. As soon as they make their debut, they'll be Instagram pages, for instance. You know, bigging them up and saying they're this. Their followers go up, and you know, it's almost like, oh, this is crazy. And don't, don't get me wrong, it is, it is at times, you know, football is, mm. especially the way it's followed in this country, it's, mm. it's, it's such, a, such a big factor. But you want them to focus on football and focus on, right, how can I be the best I can? Because even at that age, they've got to keep developing, they've got to keep learning. You know, they can't get away from what got them to that stage in the first place. So it's, it's working with the right type of characters, I think is so important. You know, so, so important. You want players that... They're not concerned about the debut. You know, as soon as that's done, it's I need to make 50 appearances. I need to make a yeah. hundred. You know, they're focused on, you know, trying to be as successful as they can. That's when you've got gold dust. You know, you've got gold dust when you've got someone that's obsessed with trophies, obsessed with playing for the national team. You know, it's all about the next one. You know, what's next? Yeah. Like I show a clip to a lot of my players about uh, Tom Brady. Um, mm. It was the Super Bowl against um, uh, the Chiefs. Yeah. So basically, this guy's now won what seven or eight Super Bowls. Yeah. Someone films him and says, you know, what's your favorite ever Super Bowl moments? Like, what's your favorite ever Super Bowl memory? And he said, the next one. The next one. And I was like, well, you know, that's his mentality. He's achieved everything he could 
possibly in the sport. And he's thinking about, no, actually, it's the next time. And he's 40 years old. People like that, I think, are such great examples. There's going to be a lot of people listening to this who, who will really be interested in what is the day-to-day role then of the agent in this? Because obviously the manager, we understand the role. The coach, we understand the role. We know what the player's doing. You know, is the agent's job on a day-to-day basis to, you know, go through training, review stuff, look at matches? You mentioned they on match days, perhaps you'll meet up after the game or maybe talk on the phone. For those that don't know, what is the day-to-day for an agent in the modern game, supporting a player in that way? We all operate differently. You know, companies will operate differently. Certain agents will have what we think is the right way to operate. You know, I can't give you the right or wrong answer because there'll be people that disagree with me. I can only tell you what, what I see. Um, I, the best agents I, I, I've come across, you know, they know what the player's eating for breakfast. You know, they know what car the mum drives. You know, they're very much, you know, working with the family, working with the player because I've made mistakes previously before I got into agency, right? I was working with a player when I was coaching um, and for some reason he wasn't performing, you know, he wasn't performing and I got frustrated with him. I took it out on him. Um and, you know, I was just very angry with him. I found out a couple of hours later, you know, his dad's really ill, you know, seriously ill. Um, and I mean, I, I couldn't tell you how guilty I felt. You know, mm-hmm. I, I sat back and thought, like, how arrogant are you? Like, you've come and seen this player, you know, you know he's a great lad. Um, for some, whatever reason, he's not performing. And you just, you know, shout and scream at him, only to find out actually he's got, you know, something seriously going on. Like, that was a big lesson to me. It was a big lesson that I've got to learn what my players are getting up to. I've got to learn how their family is. I've got to learn um, all these other factors off the pitch because that's a massive effect on the pitch. And I think that was a great lesson before going into the industry because it made me realise, you know, don't sometimes what you see on the pitch, right, and what you see someone underperforming, there's a reason behind that. Mm-hmm. So I was very fortunate to come across that at a young age because you, know, you learn from your mistakes. You know, you learn from your mistakes. That was a big lesson for me. Thank you so much for sharing that because there'll be a lot of people listening here who are starting out in their career who perhaps might view a mistake like that as, you know, devastating. As in, you know, like you said, the guilt you felt and the you know, obviously the learning that took place after. But I would argue while you don't want to make that mistake and obviously you never wanted to make that player feel, you know, bad in any way. But I would argue that that experience for you has made you better and, and, and was probably essential in you becoming the agent you are today. So for young people listening who might be afraid of making those mistakes or might not have that great relationship with risk, could you speak a bit more maybe about um, whether you think that was in the long run a good a good thing that happened or if I can put it that way because I think we, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think it it educated me. You know, it educated mm-hmm. me. And when you have those moments, you know, straight away you feel guilt. But then you sit back and you evaluate and you think, well, do you know what? That was a great learning tool because... Mm-hmm. I've acted on emotion, like emotionally I've acted straight away. Then obviously I've had the feedback and I've listened to him. Then you think, well, do you know what? I can use this now. You know, I'm going to use this experience to make myself better. So in future, you know, it's well, especially now with my players, you know, I want to know what's going on. I want to learn um, certain aspects. And I've been very fortunate since then, for instance, I've had moments where, you know, something's happened with a player, for instance, within the family and they've contacted me those were the first people and 
that feeling for me is more important than, you know, making a massive deal or, you know, yeah. getting a player a big club because, you know, to have that trust and that respect, you know, from a family during a really, you know, difficult moments, yeah. you know, it's so rewarding for me, you know, it's so, so rewarding. Um, so, yeah, I think I tried to get as involved in the player's life as I can, you know, obviously within limits, but, you know, I want to be that, point of contact where they can feel comfortable to speak to, you know, so I can try and help them with their performance. Then obviously you have your contracts, you know, you have your, you know, parts of the business that are, are really important. And, you know, I think long gone are the days where agents would just purely focus on contracts. Uh, now it's trying to basically help with every element. Um, but there's a fine line. You have to appreciate their coaches. You have to, because, you know, from a tactical and technical point, they'll know a lot more than me. You know, they'll mm. specialise in that area. But mm. certain elements, perhaps, you know, a lot of football clubs, for instance, won't have the staff to do as much analysis. So, you know, we know yeah. they'll be able to work on analysis with us. I'll go through it with my players. I'll try and watch as many games as possible and, you know, give them my opinion. Um, mm. So it's being that support mechanism, I guess, to help them get to where they need to get to. This is really interesting as well. So you touched a little bit there on the, on the perhaps the business side, if you like, the contract negotiations, the, you know, what we would traditionally understand probably years ago agents to do, right? It must, I think you've put it brilliantly there. It, it seems to be seeping into more of a, a player care officer role as well now. You're kind of amalgamating the both and looking after uh, the human being. But, you know, is it is it as simple as, you know, Agent needs something, they call you up, you get it, you do it. Are you are you a fixer in those kind of like terms? Like if they, you know, need a house or whatever, are you kind of sorting that out and then, you know, the the pipes burst, are they you the first person they ring? Like is some people will think that's how it works, and I probably not, but how uh, what is it really like? It depends on the personality once again. You know, and I say this with a smile <laughs> on my face because yeah. you've got some players that are like, they're just machines, you know, they're very yeah. focused. And I think your modern day player is getting a little bit more conscious in terms of, you know, they want to do degrees alongside football. You know, they want to think about life outside of football when they retire. You know, I've got a lot of characters like that. You have some players, for instance, that, you know, they'll call you at all different types of times for things. And, you know, I'll, I'll always help them. I'll always help them because... Yeah, I'm. I have like a connection with them where I want to help. You know, I want to help, and everyone I work with are good characters. You know, they all have different strengths, they all have different personalities. But you know, when I when I joined, I wanted to work with people that you know respected me. That there was that mutual, like you know, we both want to work to help each other. Because I don't care what you say, when you have that relationship, you'll always go that extra mile. You know, you'll always try and push them as much as you can. Because uh, you know, I'll be brutally honest with you. I've gone to meetings where the player is top, top tier. You know, top, top mm. tier. You meet the family, you meet the player, and you. Uh, I've said no, I can't. I don't want to work with them just because right. I know there'll be problems further down the line. You know, I yeah. know, for instance, you know, they won't value what I can bring. Mm. Uh, so I'm very fortunate. You know, the characters I work with, you know, they're top, top people. Um, but also, you know, they want to work with me, you know, and it, it, you have that mutual respect and everyone talks about, you know, as an agent, you have this contract with the player. As soon as that respect's gone, it means yeah. nothing. It, 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 it means absolutely nothing. You know, you have to have that in place because as soon as that's broken, it, it's irreversible. You know, it's irreversible. So I think it's so important to have that relationship first. Then everything naturally comes with it and you can build 
um, on, on from that. So I've got to ask you this. You don't have to answer. I've got to ask you what's the most craziest thing you've been asked or in the middle of the night or whatever. Somebody's on the side of a road somewhere. There'll be people out there wanting me to ask this question. Uh, do you get these crazy uh, requests? Have you ever kind of said, oh, no, that's a bit much? Don't have to mention the player, obviously. No, I won't mention the player. <laughs> it was quite funny. I had one before where uh, he rang me and, you know, great kid. Yeah. He rang me. Um, you know, he, so he was going to Diggs for the first time. So, you know, he signed his pro contract. I say Diggs, but, you know, was moving away from home yeah. for the first time. So he rang me up and just said, you know, do I, do I wash my socks? Like, do I, do I, do I wash my socks type of thing? You know, he washed everything else, but was confused whether, you know, he had to wash his socks type of thing. And honestly, I just managed thinking to myself, like, <laughs> do I get too involved to have these conversations? Uh... But, Again, you know, came from a place of like, you know, Manuel was just basically trying to answer the question. It was, you know, it was a question. Yeah. At the end of the day. So, yeah, yeah. You don't know what you don't know, do you? You don't know what you don't know. Like until you've, I, I, you know, for me, I've moved, you know, I've moved out of Wales. I moved across the, you know, the world to America. You don't, you don't know whatever age you are. You don't know what you don't know until it happens to you. And oh, exactly, exactly. And, you know, now he knows the answer, doesn't he? And that's the most now he knows the what's inside. Eventually. <laughs> um, but no, to be fair to a lot of my players, I, I, I can only speak for myself, but yeah. you know, very mature majority of them. Um, yeah. You know, and it, the ones that perhaps are not as mature off the pitch, you know, they've got great yeah. environments around them in terms of their family. You know, their support network at home is top top tier, so yeah. they're getting looked after. You know, very very well, and mm-hmm. I think we're very clever in the sense. And I go back to when I said about characters and working with mm-hmm. you know those type of um, you know good people. Is that that normally comes from a good family environment. You know, they've normally got, you know, a mum and dad that really, really support them and, you know, gives them as much help as they can. And yeah, I found that when you're working with a top character and someone who's, you know, really got that personality to kick on, it normally comes from a you know really strong home environment. Indeed, indeed. It's really interesting what you say. We had um Kevin Murphy on, who's the head of recruitment for Arsenal Women, um, a couple of episodes, and he was saying exactly the same thing in terms of working with people who value you and you know respect what you bring rob sherman who you'll know we had rob sherman on um and rob talked about walking away from jobs and actually quitting jobs because maybe he felt like he couldn't operate in the way he wanted to and to hear you talking about you know turning down a high profile client perhaps because you didn't feel that fit was right just again speaks to your professionalism and your and your and your and the power of your of why you're doing what you're doing not just the fact that you're doing it one of the things that Kevin mentioned in, in a recent episode was later on in his career, after he'd been kind of a technical director at Man City and done other stuff, he felt like he could have the confidence to say those things. But you're here, early 20s, mid 20s now saying, no, I'm, I'm going to work with these people. I'm not going to work with those. There'll be a lot of people listening, aspiring coaches, maybe agents, anybody who perhaps feels a little bit powerless. Like I, I can't, I haven't really done anything yet. I can't really have that opinion. I can't really stand up for myself in that way. But you managed to. What advice would you give to those aspiring coaches who maybe think they have to be in the wrong environments or with the wrong people or just put up with stuff at the moment that because they have the dream of getting on? What would you say to them? Ben, it comes from a mistake, a mistake I made early on in, in my career. Um, mm. we had a, there was a really good, talented player, you know, everyone across the country, every age, and you could imagine wanted him. Um, and it just didn't quite work. It, it didn't 
you know, I could sense it in the room. It was just, there wasn't that respect there. You know, it was almost like very transactional. This is what I expect from you. This is what we want. And you could just tell it was disrespectful. You know, there was no real like connection there. I pursued with it. I pursued with it because I thought, oh, do you know what? Ridiculous talent. You know, we will, you'll kick on. We'll get through this period and then see where it gets from there. But you learn, you know, it doesn't matter how many hours you put in, doesn't matter how much effort you put in, they will leave eventually, you know, mm-hmm. because there's characters like that where it's the highest bidder. You know, they'll go to whoever offers them the most. They'll go to whatever agents can, you know, get them the best deal. So you're wasting your time. You know, you've got to have people that invest in you as well. It's not a one-way street. Mm-hmm. And I learned that because I tried to pursue something and keep it going because of how talented he was. Mm. eventually it's never going to work out it's never going to work out and it goes back to respect you know there'd be certain people that won't like my personality you know they'll think that someone else is better fitted and that's completely fine but a lot of people have the personality of um agents kind of you know you you, you're every command you know it's all about we can get them the best deal the best offer and we'll go with them you're never going to have longevity with that. You're never, you never, it'll always go to the highest bidder. So sometimes you know, from an agent perspective, you've got to go, well, I can't work with this person. You know, it might be a quick fix. You might get a contract within that time frame. but what are you in this industry for? You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate in the sense of, you know, my passion is football. Of course, we all want to have great contracts, great players, make money, of course. You know, that's, yeah, that's, of course. that's part of it. Nothing wrong with that, yeah. But I've always said to myself, you know, I don't lose my pride and my respect as part of that either. You know, I've seen my biggest thing for me in football, and it's probably because I've been fortunate to see a lot of people in the industry who are top, top, the respect they have when they walk in the room, you know, the respect they have from their players. Mm. I I was very fortunate that, you know, I managed to see it only briefly with someone like Mina Raiola, where, you know, you, you speak to certain people about him and you, the media can say whatever they want. His players, like, yeah. I just didn't. They, they love it. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Uh, honestly, and that was something I seen and thought, well, yeah, that comes from respect. That can't come from, you know, that's from being honest with people, treating them the right way. And there was a quote, Ibrahimovic brought it forward. It was brilliant. He was, it was, I think it was in his book. And he said he met Raiola for the first time. And he said that, you know, Raiola sat down with him. He was like in an Adidas track suit. So everybody else turned up in Dolce Gabbana and, you know, was saying they can do this, do that. And he said, Raiola turned up and he said, like, you know, just a piece of paper and a pen. And he said, you know, with those stats, I can't sell you. You know, it's a waste of time. He's like, if you work on this and you focus on being a footballer and you up your stats, yeah, no problem. I'll work with you. But if you don't listen, you don't want to work on this, you, you're wasting your time and you're wasting my time. And then he said he went back to his car you know, thought about it and he said, called me within the next hour and said, I want to work with you. But that was because everybody else told him, oh, you're unbelievable. You know, you're going straight for the top. He was the first person that said, no, actually, you know, those stats of your ability is actually a waste of time. So actually getting the truth and being honest with him worked. And that was something I thought, you know what, it's genius. It's genius because outside the box, you know, you're saying, do you know what, everyone's telling this person he's incredible. I'm going to go the other way and tell him what I actually think of him because it's from a place of care. And you know what? If he doesn't do that and he doesn't take on, you know, what I'm trying to tell him, he won't, he won't click onto the hype anyway. So that really made me learn, you know, really made me learn that you've got to work with the right people. You've got to work with people that respect you. 
Uh, and listen, if, if, that, if there's not that relationship, you can always walk away. You know, walk away and say, no problem. I wish you all the best and yeah. work with someone else. And we shouldn't see that as a weakness. I think it's actually a strength when you... I've always had this saying, um, you know, you look around any room you're in and, you know, if if you can't count there's more people in that room that have your best interests at heart than don't, then you're in the wrong room. Um, whatever you're doing in life, you know, whatever is so football, soccer, whatever. I know there's a lot of aspiring coaches, maybe players out there now who will draw strength from your insight here and to see, you know, such a young man with, with already done some great stuff, but obviously you have a huge future in front of you as well. But to hear you talk in those terms and make it okay for people to, you know, to look around the room and, and make sure they're in the right environment. I know those people will draw strength from that. And that's exactly why I wanted to do this thing in the first place else. So thanks, man. I just want to kick it on a bit there. Uh, we've talked a lot about you know, the, the role of the modern agent and the care and the, the goals involved. We talked a little bit about the day-to-day stuff. For you, if we can turn it towards to the coaches, you mentioned earlier about, you know, having to respect the coaches. Of course, you walk a very fine line and you're there to support and, and you would never impinge on what the coaches are trying to do on their day-to-day either. But for you in professional football right now, where do you see coaches getting it right, really right? And perhaps where do you see them still even now getting it really, really wrong? Um, maybe from the auspices of your players talking to you or you seeing it yourself? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think what I see a lot of, like say a lot of the good coaches that I've seen and that you know I work with because I speak with them and you know I gather their opinions. Again, they're brutally honest. They're brutally honest with players. And they say it where it's all from development points, right? So I think we're a lot better these days you know, I've got a player, for instance, at the moment, you know, physically he's got a lot more development. I think yeah. coaches are so good at realising that now, you know, especially your top scouts, the ones I speak to. You know, I, I think I've got good in that area because I was the other end of the spectrum, you know, so 13 to 14, I was, you know, same height as I am now. You know, I had a beard, you know, I've, I've realised yeah. that. And perhaps we didn't pick up on that as much as, you know, we would now. When I look at a lot of coaches, you know, they're very, very advanced. And a lot of areas, tactically, you know, a lot of the best ones I see are outstanding, technically. Do you know where I think we really struggle? And I think it's not part of our coaching license where it really should be. Man management. You know, I, I just yeah. see man management and dealing with people we really struggle with. And I think that's a big part in this country that I see as a little bit of a flaw. You know, I, so many coaches tactically formations how they set up the top tier they're brilliant um you know there's so many good areas but i think in terms of managing people um that's a bit that i think is a little bit neglected um even such things as you know you see a lot of your top coaches when a player's left out they feel just as important as the players starting you know they create mm-hmm. such an environment where everyone wants to be part of it you know i see a lot of coaches where you know, they won't speak to players when they're not playing. They won't give them feedback as to why. And a lot of the time, players are just looking for honesty. They just want to know why I'm not playing, the reason for it. And I think that man management area we struggle with. And I think you throw it back to Alex Ferguson, for instance, right? A lot of people, from what I've been told, said he never took a training session. Never took yeah. a training session. Um, you know, he had top assistants that, you know, would do all of that. But the way he made you feel, the way you treat certain certain characters, you know, know when to speak, know when to ease off. Um, man management wise, he was incredible. 
And I think yeah. we kind of neglect that because I think we go into that generation now of, you know, Peppers, this tactician who's incredible, which he is, he's phenomenal. Yeah. And I think we've been so obsessed with, okay, formation, styles of play. But if you don't get people to want to play for you and want to take on information and run through that brick wall, and for me, it's irrelevant because you need that first and foremost. Yeah. And I just, I just yeah. see it as a part of, I just think, and I don't blame coaches as well. I think a lot of the coaching badges and the way we set up in this country, we kind of neglect the man management, which for me is vital. It's so, so important. You're not wrong. All, all the top players, you know, from a sort of senior professional level that I work with would, would reiterate that. I think in my career, I can test to that, like the impact you have on players firstly as a human, if anyone, you know, you'd have to ask players who play for me, but people who I've coached, who have then given me everything they've got, have always achieved their potential or gone closer or done over and above because they felt that way. But it's amazing to hear you even now talking about the fact that some coaches just still ignore people, ignore, like in, like, They'll ignore them in the training ground. They won't speak to them. They won't give them the information. One of the stories I recall from Gary Neville's book, I think it was, Gary Neville got dropped by Sir Alex at one point for a, a game. And he went into a conversation and Sir Alex said something like, you know, I got a game for you. Uh, week on Monday, Blackburn away, whatever it was. You know, this is the one for you. This kid on the left side or whatever, you, you can stop him. This is your game. And he left the meeting thinking he was on cloud nine. And then he realized, he said in his book, that as he's walking away from the meeting, not playing Blackburn on Saturday, playing Newcastle, so he'd been dropped. And I think that speaks towards exactly what you're saying in terms of, you know, man management and, and really just putting people in a good spot, even if you're you're leaving them out type of thing. But, but I look um, at, even as an Arsenal fan, I look at Ange at Tottenham. And yeah. Like, you just want to put your socks on, put your boots on, start playing for him. You know, you can't mm-hmm. help but fall in love with him. You can't. Yeah. Like, the way he conducts himself you just you just think like you just, you'd love to play for him you would yeah the way he's conducting himself now in the media you know you can see his players are all playing for him and I think you can just see the way he manages people the respect he has um you know you're in awe of it at times and you know Klopp was like that when he first came to Liverpool still is yeah. now you know those yeah. characters and the way they conduct themselves there's a reason why they're elite managers now, I'm not saying they're not top coaches I'm not saying that you know certain areas they've got deficiencies but i'm just saying in terms of the way they conduct themselves and you know the respect they have from the group you know you can't you can't neglect that you can't and i think a large part of it is the way they run people uh, you're not wrong there was a huge you mentioned Ange there there's a huge Ange postacogli obviously at spurs there's a huge example where they played arsenal and james madison gets robbed on the edge of the box by jesus and he literally put the ball over the bar, it should have been 2-0. And afterwards, they asked James Madison, like, you know, at that moment, did you think you'd messed up? Or And he said, no, the, the gaffer told me, accept responsibility, go for the ball. And if it goes wrong, he'll take responsibility. And he, and he smiles and he's like, that kind of, you know, alleviates the pressure. Now, obviously, he doesn't want to get caught on the edge of the box. But for the remainder of the game, he carried on doing the same thing, looking to exceed the ball. And obviously, Spurs grew into that game and got a 2-2 draw out of it. So I think we're talking about coaches now, and you're certainly talking about coaches who have the biggest impact, being the biggest human connectors and also having the knowledge, also having the tactics. But it's no good knowing that a fullback goes into midfield all of a sudden uh, and not caring about the human being or dropping them and never speaking to them again when they're not in your plans. Yeah, for um, sure. I think, I think a big part of that as well is that we miss out on the finer details. So... You know, we'll look at, say, what Guardiola does, a lot of coaches, and look at his systems and how he plays. Fantastic. 
But you've got to remember a massive part of that. And I think we ignore that at times. I remember um, it was on his documentary and he said that, you know, you have license to lose the ball. You know, you're more than welcome to miss chances. You know, I, I'll, I take responsibility for that. What I won't tolerate is you not getting in possession. You know, you not taking risks. You not wanting the ball. I won't tolerate that. Making mistakes completely fine. Now, having that courage then to think, well, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to make mistakes. Um, it brought me back to a time when we were at Cardiff, right? And this is one thing I, you know, I will say negatively. I, listen, I had a fantastic experience. But I remember one time there was a obsession with stats, getting 99% pass completion. Pass accuracy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Backwards you, and sideways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you make 100% pass completion because Philip Lamb did it once? Yeah. I look back. And for about two, three months, people were just playing sideways and backwards for about yeah, yeah. about four or five weeks. We were too afraid to make yeah. a mistake. And I looked back at that and I was like, well, yeah, it's wrong because you're playing safe then. You're playing just to make sure yeah. you don't make a mistake. Where yeah. you look at what they do, no problem you losing the ball. No problem as long as you're trying to do the right thing. And then it gets you into dangerous areas where I think for four or five weeks, we didn't leave, we didn't leave the halfway line. We were just passing back and forward. But again, it's, it's a license. It's, it's understanding the finer details and realizing look, the game's not about making you know 100% pass completion. It's yeah. not. It's about yeah. you know what, creating opportunities, putting people in key areas, and ultimately you know trying to win the game of football. And I think sometimes might take that on board. Yeah, that's great advice. That's great advice for aspiring coaches who might be listening. And uh, obviously now more than ever, we've got stats coming everywhere, everywhere on the internet, Twitter. Uh, you know, wherever you want to look, you can find this stuff. But, um, but there's got to be context great. behind it. That's the thing. Context. Indeed. Indeed, there has. Let's talk a little bit then quickly about what when there's a disconnect. So when, because you're in a really tough spot here, and this is going to resonate with the North American market in terms of, you know, parental involvement and perhaps parents disagreeing with coaches in the youth game or the college game, and also the, you know, the other side of the Atlantic in terms of, you know, when a coach and a player might see things differently. If um, you know, if one of your players or a player, we don't have to talk about your players. If a player in this example is getting some feedback from a coach or not being picked in the team or not being used in the in the right role they want, I assume they'll come to you and have a conversation about it. But you have to handle that conversation in a certain way because, again, you can't just you know. I assume you can't just turn around and say, "Yeah, that coach is an idiot," and at the same time, you you, you might have an opinion yourself. So, how do you manage and navigate that kind of difficult scenario for the players that you represent? First and foremost, what is the feedback? So, what has the coach said to you? So, if that, if that, you know, most coaches, right, that I've come across, the information they give is correct. You know, it's it's got substance behind it. Very rarely you might get something you think, I'm not too sure about that. But I always say to my players, if there's something you're unhappy with, right, let, let's find a solution here. Let's find a solution. Excuses isn't going to anyone anywhere. It's not. Mm. You know, if you're going to find an excuse and blame this and blame that factor, you've got to remember coaches have a responsibility. You know, they've got mortgages, they've got jobs, you know, they mm. want to be successful. So they're putting this in place because they want a certain outcome. So let's not look for an excuse and blame other factors. And, you know, we can all say you know, certain things. Let's try and find a solution here. If he's saying, for instance, you know, you need to be more positive in possession. Um, you know, I expect my wingers to be doing this. Right, let's find a solution. Let's work on it. You know, the club's giving you feedback. I might give you some clips and some footage where you can also work on this. But mm. let's try and find a solution here. You know, I don't... Coaches, they're looking for a certain area for you to improve, right? 
So again, it goes back to the cheerleader comments. I'm not going to tell you you've been fantastic in training and you've been incredible. And you know, the coach is not going to achieve anything. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. look at the solution here. You know, listen to the feedback. What is that feedback? And then look, right, what's the solution? How, how can we fix this scenario and get you into that start 11? And more often than not, when you get a player to focus, take it on board, work even harder. And I think a big thing I say to my players is you really see a character and what you made of when you're not playing. You know, mm. that's when you've got to work even harder. You know, don't mm. sulk now. Don't feel sorry for yourself. This is not the time. You know, when you're not playing, you've got to be working twice as hard. You know, you're working on that pitch to get to where you want to be. So let's find a solution. Let's figure out where you need to improve. We need to find out how you get back in that starting 11 and, you know, get to where you want to be. And that's only going to be worth by breaking down your game and getting to where you need to be by being honest with each other and finding a solution. That's great advice for perhaps parents out there who, you know, you know, we all want the best for our kids and, and we want to protect them from any kind of, you know, a negative situation. Sometimes you want to catch them before they fall. We all understand that. But if you're in a situation where perhaps your young player isn't getting what they, what they perhaps want, or maybe they're going through some of that adversity that we mentioned earlier that they probably need to go through in order to succeed in the highest levels of the game. It seems to be that you're saying, look, meet it head on get some feedback, decide first and foremost whether the feedback is relevant or not or credible, and in most cases it will be, and then work on a plan together and perhaps involve the coach in that plan. And that's good advice for anybody in the youth game perhaps who's, you know, they may feel like maybe they can't go into their football club and, and speak to the coaches or they obviously get reviews every few weeks or months or whatever, but certainly in the North American and Canadian market with the pay-to-play model, you can approach the directors of the club, you can approach the coaches and have this conversation rather than being frustrated about perhaps something that builds and builds and builds over time, maybe honestly would be a better way to go about it, you think? Oh, for sure, for sure. And I was very fortunate with my parents in the sense of if I had feedback from a coach, right, it was never, I would say my my bit about how I felt and they'd always listen to what I said. And, you know, if I said something, I remember once, Brought him up already. I'll bring up again. Lawrence said something yeah. about it was a session he put on. It was based on possession, and I was I was being an idiot. I was trying to be like Ronaldinho. I was dribbling at everyone, trying to skills, and it was it was a complete like opposite of what the session was supposed to be. So he told me to sit out. He said, you know, go and sit out. He did. Yeah, no, he did. He did. Yeah. yeah. So I I was sulking. So I went back to my parents and was like, oh, you know, I was a bit happy that like I sat against the fence, you know. Because I, I was you know, in the session. My dad went, yeah, completely right. You were, you were out of order. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're not listening. What, what, what do you expect? If you go into a workplace and, you know, they tell you, your boss says to you, this is what I expect of you and this is what you should be doing. You do the opposite. What do you think is going to happen? The best youth coaches I've come across, they're, they're always calling people up. They're always calling people up. And it might feel like they're, you know, raising the bar too high at times, but they're not. They know they know what these kids are capable of, and they're just calling them up to meet the moment. And you mentioned your support network a couple of times there now, mate. And I, again, it would be remiss of me not to chime in on that because, you know, with your dad being such a high-profile player, people might have thought it'd be different for you, and they might have thought there'd be undue pressure. And you've obviously talked about that today but what people didn't realize or see about your dad was the amount of time he spent especially when he came back to Cardiff while we were there the amount of time he spent with the youth players away from the cameras 
without you know notoriety giving time and energy and effort listening to these young boys who had big dreams not just the players but i remember as staff we would we would just he would have hour-long conversations. He'd probably wait, waiting to go home, pick you up in the car or whatever. You'd have to hang around for an extra hour because he'd be talking to all us lot and we'd be hanging on his every word. And People don't see that side of him and they, they never understood that he would come to watch our FA Youth Cup games and, and be there in the dressing room and, and might not even say anything, but he was there. And I know that meant a lot to the staff and the players at the time. And people don't realise this of people who perhaps have lived a life in football. They just see the, the media side or wherever it might be. Couldn't be further from the case in, in my experience, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, not even just my dad. Like, he was outstanding with me. But, you know, the rest of my family, my grandparents. Yeah, the grandpa. Yeah, granddad, I remember. Yeah, but my family's... People get confused when, like, obviously, you come from a background where your dad's a professional footballer because everyone assumes that, especially with the way I talk, that, I you know, we come from money and that, you know, we could always be like this and... No, my, I'm really proud. My family comes from you know, an area in trial, called Trowbridge in Cardiff, which yeah. you know, isn't most affluent. You know, there's a lot of poverty in the area, and so there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of problems there. Um, you know, my dad coming from there. My mum lives just you know, down the road, and mm. you know, I always had grandparents and family members that really brought me back to earth straight away. You know, as soon as I got ahead of myself, or you know, I not quite acting the way I should, I was always brought straight back. And I was always very fortunate with that. And, you know, I've got a lot of admiration for my dad coming from that environment because you know, there's so many of people that went the other way, you know. But I think the reason he got to where he got to was having that, you know, solution-based mentality. I have to get there. You know, I have to find a way to be successful. And a lot of people took excuses. A lot of people found ways to, uh, you know, oh, someone else's fault. And you know, there's always that typical story at the pub of I could have been this, I should have been, but... Yeah, you know, coach ruined it for me. You know, he was yeah. always no. Actually, how do I get to where I want to get to? And I was very fortunate that when you have that success story and you grow up around it, you know, you have that positive mentality of right, try and find ways to be successful. Um. So yeah, yeah. I I think I bring that into a lot of my players because you know you get you get criticised a lot, right, in terms of what I do because there'll be a lot of ex pros, for instance, that have played the game to ridiculously have high level. Right, and some are outstanding agents, but it's almost like I've played the game, so I know the game. I played at a high level. You know, I never played at a high level, self-admittedly. You know, I got to academy level purely to my ability. But you know, I was very lucky that you know I spent time with an elite level footballer. You know, my whole entire life, so I know exactly the pressures. I know exactly, you know, the tough, tough moments. You know, the injuries. So I've been able to see that firsthand. So being able to give that to my players and give them moments and bits of guidance, you know, which for me, you know, is very, very hard to find because you've spent time with someone who's, you know, played the very elite, you know, Champions League, exactly. yeah. you know, Wales captain, you know, I've been very, very yeah. fortunate that I can, I can lean on that and be able to give information from those experiences. So would you say your philosophy now then is built on a, you kind of, you're kind of talking about like, how do you overcome something? You'll see a problem, you'll see an issue and you'll be like, right, how can we, and, and you've talked a lot, you know, very well today about like, how do we approach this? You and the player or you and the family or you and the support network. Would you say that some people can tend to look at a problem and go, oh, that's going to be tough. Or, or they can, it's not as simple as this, but you probably look at a problem and say, all right, how are we going to overcome this then? Is that something you're conscious that you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. You can always sugarcoat things, right? You can always say, oh, yeah, and blame other factors. 
But I, I just see it with my players, right? Let's be brutally honest. Let's say, right, how can we try and get you to the highest level possible, right? There'll be loads of bumps along the way. And there's some things that will be completely out of your control. But I've got to be there with you, no matter if you play at the very highest level, say the Premier League, or say you don't quite make it and you're playing the Welsh Prem. You know, I, I'm part of this journey with you. So I'm going to give you the, you know, the best guidance I possibly can at the key moments where I think, you know, you might need certain elements to bring into it. And just a big thing I've seen, right, it was, um, I don't know if you've seen it, it was a documentary. It was about, um, it was about Dr. Dre. It was, I can't remember the, I can't remember the guy in it. He basically was a, he was a massive, like, uh, record label. So okay. he obviously all the top artists. And it was right what he said, and I brought it into football. He said mm-hmm. that a lot of people talk about, um, we can do this, a bit like the 10-year plan. You know, we can do all this for you and come to us with the best company. The very best agents will admit we can help two to three percent, you know, at the very max, we can help you mm. two to three percent. But that mm. in the long run is a massive, massive percentage. Mm. You know, it can be the difference between what league you play in, it can you know, it can really benefit your career. Don't ever ever think that you can take complete credit for everything it's impossible mm-hmm. you know it's impossible we we help the finer details you know the very best agents help the finer details we can never put your boots on for you you know we can yeah. never play the game for you we can't you know we can just give you the guidance and the experience we've had which you know, i think you know that extra one two percent help you so much but a lot of people get carried away and think oh no we're the reason you're here it's the difference coaches coaches the same perhaps mate. maybe coaches sometimes forget that um you know that they're not actually the ones out there kicking the balls. Um, really interesting what you say there in terms of like two to three percent, an arbitrary number, of course. But I suppose we had Rob Sherman on earlier in the series talking about you know maybe not taking away from players as a coach, maybe actually just keeping them on track, right? So if you don't, you know, you might say well, two to three percent is not a massive amount, but actually, not only is it quite significant, you're actually if you're giving them two or three percent, you're not taking anything away from them. You're not making them two to three percent worse. And that's perhaps, you know, a drawback of having the wrong kind of support around you or the wrong kind of representation as well. So it's actually a bit of a six-pointer in that respect, isn't it? It's a, it's a really important thing. Yeah, and again, I think a lot of it's taken ego away from it. You know, I've, mm. I see so many people talk about, like, when I was playing or when I was a player, and you can see the player switches off straight away. You know, he switches, yes. he's not interested. Like, he wants to know about him, how can you make him better, and how can you develop his game? And I learned quite quickly that, you know, don't talk about past experiences. There's a reason why the highest level I played was the Welsh League. You know, self-admittedly, I'm nowhere near as good as these players. And I've learned that. I know that. And that's completely yeah. fine. But, you know, I'm seeing these players that are much better than me. All they're looking for are those finer details. They're just looking yeah. for those little bits of information that I can draw from. So don't yeah. ever draw back on, oh, I would have done this or I would have done that. Yeah. These players are playing at a high level because, you know, they're there. You know, they're top, yeah. top players. You're just trying to support them and give them that bit mm. of guidance to help them, you know, kick on and play that little bit higher. But don't ever, you know, draw back from your own experiences and say, I don't want to play about that because you're losing. You know, you're losing. You've got to judge them on what they're performing on and then just just give them your your opinion. Um, and on top of that, you know, obviously, there's so many other different factors that you can speak about in terms of, like, why they're playing a you know, certain way or certain systems. You know, I feel comfortable talking about that. But yeah, I've, I've learned that very quickly. Don't draw on your own experiences. You know, remember where you've got to. Remember your limitations. But also, I think that helps you appreciate the players that you have and how good they actually are. 
And they are. They are really good. I mean, they they were really good in the past as well, but it's the game of today, mate, like you said, isn't it? I don't think the game I'm watching today is the game I was watching six years ago, never mind the game I was watching 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And that's, you know, like you said, the, you know, Gen-, Gen Z and Generation Alpha coming behind them, you know, they might not even understand that the inception of the Premier League. They might not even know anything that happened in 1995 to 2005. We certainly weren't even born during that time. So, you know, I think it's really important that you frame that for people listening to make sure they're using the right language, make sure they're drawing on the right experiences. Um, and, and I found, certainly I did this with England. When I, when I was talking to the England players, it was like, I wasn't, it didn't matter what I'd done in my career. Like you said, it was about offering options. Here's an option. Here's what I think can make you more lethal or could make you have an extra second to intercept the ball, whatever it might be. And and I found those players, when they hear those options, were like, yeah, okay, I'll have a bit of this. And then they went off and did it. And it, you know, it's quite right. You might be adding two, three percent, but you're not the one lacing your boots up, going out there in front of 50,000 people actually doing it. Oh, exactly. And you, you've got to, you've always got to respect, you know, that boundary because, you know, I've never played in front of 90,000 fans, right? So who am I to tell you how you should be feeling, you yeah. know, what you should expect? You know, I, I think you've got to always respect, you know, they will feel certain ways. There'll be moments they might struggle. There'll be moments where they'll really thrive. And you've just got to, you know, speak to them and have that relationship where you can figure out, right, I know something's not quite right here. He's not quite acting this way, but also understands the pressure of the elite environment. You know, you can't, can't um can't underestimate that you can't underestimate it and you know i see with so many of my players you know how competitive it is now competition places the the best players in the world all want to come especially for the premier league because it's the best league so you know you really um really got to understand your limitations in terms of don't draw back on too many experiences you've got to know when the time is to talk and sometimes when you need to leave them to it you know that's that's really key having that balance this is such great insight. There, there are people, you know, will be listening to this today who really didn't know what the world of an agent was like. Uh, perhaps in the media, it can be one perception of what an agent is or what an agent does. And, and obviously a lot of that is negative at times in terms of, you know, agents taking money out of football or only wanting players to move and causing just dis- dis- upset and, and, you know, disruption and this kind of stuff. But actually, the world you're describing to me today is so far away from that stereotype. In fact, it's it's maybe you want to speak on that a little bit. Yeah, I want to touch on that because it's nonsense. It's so much of that is nonsense, and I, I mean that in the sense of is there negligent coaches out there? Yes. Is there negligent club owners? Yes. You know, with agents, it's always a negative, the negative. And mm. I'll, I'll draw a quote from uh, Jonathan Barnett. He um, he's the owner of Stella. You know, really successful agency. Gareth Bale's agent, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Very yeah, yeah. He, he brought forward a brilliant quote. He said, you know, no one ever talks about... Well, I'll ask you the question. Who would you say is the most successful in the team ever? Oh, 66? <laughs> of course. I think, now correct me if I'm wrong, but I think 12 or 13 of those players had to sell their medals. Yes. They, they went bankrupt. They had no money. You know, they weren't looked after after their career. That's right. They had nothing. How, yeah. how can 13 to 14 players, perhaps, perhaps lower have to face that you know they're heroes you know they're players that won a world cup you know incredibly successful after that they have to sell their medals mm. you know so we, we've got all you know the plaques and you know all the statues fantastic but mm. but where was the where was the care then you know where was yeah. where, where was the finances where was 
you know, a lot of agents, top, top agents, they're getting players paid what they deserve. You know, mm-hmm. when I think there's a lot of negative press, but that quote, I think, is so powerful because it makes me think that was when there was no agents. There was no agents then. We, you know, we weren't around. These players didn't get a service then. They weren't looked after. You know, they had to sell medals in order to, you know, to have to, to live, you know, and we weren't around then and there was a problem. But or when we are around this, though, we are the problem. So, you know, I listen to that and I think, well, hang on a minute, you know, let's, let's think things over. And there, there was another quote I'll bring up to you, you know, different sport, but you watched the Chicago Bulls documentary? Yes, last dance. Yeah. And they go on about Scotty Pippen. You know, he was yeah. the second best player behind Michael Jordan, the whole, you know, the whole NBA. I think yeah. he was the 116th best paid because he was exploited. He was exploited. Yeah. He, he didn't have an agent at the time. They offered him a contract that they knew was derogatory, but, you know, he needed the money. You know, he says in the documentary, I needed it for my family. So how yeah. can the second best player be one of the lowest paid? And, you know, a lot of agents, they say money this, money that. A lot of it's where that stopgap trying to say, well, no, hang on a minute. He's achieved this. You know, just like any other player in his position, we think he deserves this. Of course, nobody wants to pay out what sometimes people deserve. But you've got to, you, we've got to be the ones that sometimes people don't like or dislike. But mm-hmm. we're trying to do what's best for our players and we're trying to do what's best for them. And so if they do retire, you know, they've got a house. You know, they've mm-hmm. got, you know... If, they can set up another company or set up a business. You know, they haven't got to retire and sell their medals, which should never, ever be the case. Your company, Cobalt, you pride yourselves on these two things. You talk about preparing and protecting. And it's super clear to me now. You really mean the protection piece. You really mean that you're there as a buffer. And at times you're going to have to get the tin hat on and armor up. That must be hard. That must be really difficult because you know you're doing it for a bigger purpose. You know you're doing it to protect that player. And people sometimes have nefarious reasons. Maybe they do want to get away with not paying what they should pay. And if you weren't there, as you said so well just now, that player would be taken for a ride. So how do those how do those negotiations go without getting into the specifics of them? Is it you get a call from the club, we want to discuss a player's contract, you then kick into gear and go and take over and then the player finds out at the end what the offer is. Like Nobody really knows how, the, how that conversation happens because none of us have ever been there in the room. Can you shed a bit of light on that whole process? Yeah, it's never set in stone. And there's no process of this is the first call, this is the second call. Yeah. Um, more often than not, you know, let, let's take a case where, say, for instance, a player's due a new contract. You know, it's, it's all down to the club to decide why. You want to give them a new contract, the length of that contract, the terms. Then, you know, with my players, you know, I always have a very open and honest relationship with my players, but we'll discuss it openly. You know, we'll discuss it openly. It's never, no, leave it with me and I'll get back to you. Mm. So, you know, normally that'll get sent over to me from the club. You know, I'll share it with the player. You know, the family will look at it, of course. And then we sit down and discuss, right, do we think this is right? You know, do we think in the sense of, it's always, and I go back to this 10-year plan, which is just, I find outrageous. It's all about the now. You've got to think about now, right? Your situation, where you are in the squad, your importance to the team, and then make a decision on your future. You know, if that, that's the key element of all of this. You've, you've got to consider so many factors as well. And I think this is what the best agents do. Who's in your position? What age are they? Uh, resources at the football club. You know, what's your pathway? Um, 
you know, for, for a lot of players, you know, of course, for young experience in between, you've got to really evaluate that and consider, right, what is your importance to the team? So it's always case by case. You know, there'll always be situations where perhaps one player is, you know, an experienced pro. He's got two or three left years left of his career. You know, he should require a certain amount. Where another player might be a young player breaking through. He's a bit of a rotation player, might come into the team. He's not going to have the same demands as the previous uh, case study, for instance. So you've got to really evaluate with the player, right? What is your position within the team? This is the offer that they're offering you. Um, how many years is that? You know, all these different factors to do what's best for the player. You've got to decide, right, is this right for you? Or is it right to maybe look elsewhere? Maybe wait on the offer? You know, it's all, all these different factors you've got to consider. There'll be people out there desperate, I'm sure, for me to ask, how... How do you know the inner workings of these clubs? How do you know what a young player should be ballpark offered versus a in, in the middle player versus an experienced player? Is that just insider knowledge? You don't have to share that with us. But is it is it is it, is it insider knowledge? Is it talking to other players? Are you guessing? Like I'm sure there'll be people out there listening wanting to know how you go in with a counter offer or even just understanding the market because this is all shrouded in so much secrecy. We only ever really hear about you know, the big contracts that are signed at the end and so-and-so's making so much money, you know, without trying to get into people's salaries. How do you know how to operate in that market? Well, I think that's a massive part of your job as an agent. You've got to understand the market. You know, you've got yeah. to understand the market. You've got to understand where it is, the valuations. Um, of course, we speak to sporting directors. We speak to owners. We understand, you know, budgets, for instance, because a lot of the times we'll speak about recruitment, what they're after, what they're trying to sign. So we have we to get the age, you know, what finance are at the football club? Of course, players always speak. You know, we'll find out you know certain elements close to a ballpark figure of what they're on, and then you've got to evaluate right what have other players been sold for, for instance. You know, players in his position with his numbers. You know, and you've got to really consider that, and then say right, this is what we expect for the player. Um, so clubs will always make their offer. It's up to you then to say right, no, we agree with that. You know, we think that's mm. fair. Uh, we've all sat down and we believe, you know, this is right. On the other hand, you can always sit down and say, do you know what? We don't quite agree on this. We think it should be here. Um, you know, can we try and get to this or at least meet in the middle? You know, it's every discussion is different, but you've got to consider so many different factors. Um, and a lot of it is analysing the market, seeing what other players are going for, their values, and then, you know, basing it on that. You've got to really understand the valuations. And then, so... I, again, I, I feel like a lot of people want to ask this question, so I'm going to ask it. Like, if you disagree, you and the club, I assume the player's not in that meeting, or certainly you're protecting them from part of that because that could be quite awkward, I assume. But let's say that happens on a Monday afternoon and you disagree, okay, we're going to put a pin in it, we're going to leave it here, we're going to think about it. On a Tuesday, the player goes back into training, the manager's informed of all the discussions are going, they still got to operate together, haven't they? How... How does that all go? Is that is it just we don't talk about it until you all go back to the table? And then how does it work on a real day-to-day -day basis when these negotiations are going on? Um, I think it's more the case of obviously clubs will put forward what they think is right for the player, mm. right? Mm. So they'll put forward what they think is right. Now, a lot of this will determine on how important he is to the, you know, to the team, you know, how they value him as a player. Um, yeah. And then that's what they'll put forward. Let's be honest. If it's an experienced pro who's really important to the team, they're going to offer you something to because you've got to remember they're always in competition as well. Of course, you know, they are. 
say for instance, a top, top player and he's performing really well, you're not going to offer him something that's derogatory or nowhere near yeah. what he deserves because another club yeah. paid. So a yeah. lot of it is leverage. You know, mm-hmm. any agent will tell you that it's, you know, you're, you're going to look at offers from other clubs. You're going to look at, you know, what other people are offering because it's leverage. Mm-hmm. You're saying, well, hang on a minute, they're offering this. You're saying he's not worth that. What is the reason for that? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's understand the market, what other people would pay what other clubs would expect or offer. And then it's up to you to say to the club, okay, you know, you're offering more. That's fantastic. You know, we really appreciate that. And you value the player you know, you, more than what you would sign. If it's a mm. case where you're offering far less than the other club and you, know, you would say it's unfair because the finances are relatively similar. Um, that's where you say, well, why is this? You know, what is the reason behind it? And you've got to ask these questions and be very, um, very, how do you say it, um, sharp with these situations. Because what happens yeah. if you say, oh, okay, we'll take it. It's lesser terms. He's really happy to be here. So, yeah, next week they go and sign a player in his position, you know, for mm-hmm. way more money. And he, now we're suddenly he's a substitute. You know, you've got to really consider these factors because it's, you know, you've got to, again, do what's best for your client, do what's best for your player and protect them and get them what they're worth, you know, understand their value, and, you know, understand their value. Yeah, I don't think anybody would have looked at it that way either. Of course, a club can go in and bring anybody in, a, you know, any transfer window. And if you sat there not playing, at least you sat there not playing on a valuable contract that you're worth, that is putting your family in a better situation. Or you could be, like you said, there sat there on a contract that's not worth it, and now your your life is even worse, double fold or or twofold. So uh, there's that protection element again. Um, brilliant. Listen, Al, I I can't thank you enough. Um, for the time you've given us, for the insight you've given us, for the for the knowledge you've imparted, um, for talking so open and honestly, and 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 also being vulnerable in terms of how you learned and how you will continue to learn. Certainly, still relatively early on in your career, although you have all this amazing experience. Um, to finish, can I kind of ask you where you think it's going? Where where do you think representing players is going? Where it needs to go? where you know where it should go um and perhaps for the you know coaches out there that might be in the game listening if they really want to think about this area and improve and make make things more joined up perhaps instead of fighting against things all the time what would your advice be on on those parameters um obviously there's a new regulations coming in from fifa which there's a lot of pros and cons i think i'm leaning more towards the pros because I mean, the industry had to be more regulated. It had to be, you know, it had to be more regulated because, you know, people could just pay a fee and become an agent overnight. You know, it it shouldn't be that way. In any other industry, that wouldn't be able to exist. So I'm glad there's further regulation. Um, I think in the long run, it will be better, you know, even for clubs, because they can now go online, find out who's the exact agent, looking after the exact player. It gets rid of a lot of the... A lot of the nonsense, I guess. So I think in the long run, even though there is negatives, and I think it will have tweaking, you know, they will be tweaked along the years. There's a lot more positive signs, I think, eventually. You know, even though the tweaking will be really necessary, especially in terms of like the commissions and mm. various areas. I think a big part is clubs also get a bit confused in the sense of like they'll be very some clubs will be like, no, no, don't deal with them, you know very negative but then when they really want a player then they're a lot more friendly and they want to sign that player so they're a lot more welcoming 
I think a lot of the best clubs I see and the ones who certainly get their recruitment right then happy to speak to agents they have great relationships and you know they'll, they'll often call you know call us and speak to us and you know look to build a relationship and I, I i personally don't see the problem with that i think there might be a situation where you are have a player that you'll want you know and it's all about relationships if you've treated me and respected me along the years you know of course i'll always have that conversation mm. you know it will always mm. be in the back of my mind where if you're against me and you're extremely difficult from the offset you know, you can't mm. expect just to click your fingers and then all of a sudden, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that's number one priority. So I think a lot of the clubs are extremely intelligent now. They work with agents, they build relationships and, you know, they want to do business together and they don't have that shut off mentality. You know, I think a lot of the clubs that perhaps don't get their recruitment right or you know, don't quite have, you know, it's because they don't have relationships for agents. They have that seize mentality of, no, no, no. But, you know, all your top clubs now build relationships because, if you want a player, for instance, who's a top top player, and he, you know, he does have an agent uh, representing them. You, you, want, you want to build relationships. You want to work with them. Um, and, is, and I must say, you know, there's a lot of top agents out there. You know, a lot of top top agents who do what's best for their client. You know, mm. don't believe all the negative press of you know, there's mm. sharks and cowboys out there. Don't get me wrong, there is. You know, no doubt, there is plenty. Out every there. industry, every industry though, of there's course, every industry. Of yeah. course, but I think we get a lot of negative press on the negative. It's very highlighted, but the positives really goes under the radar. And mm. like I said, there's a lot of top, top clubs who, you know, self-admittedly work with certain agents, self-admittedly work closely with, you know, agents that they trust and mm. get top, top players out of it. And there's a, there's a lot of harmony in between. Mm. And that's no different to coaches going in and working with staff they trust, high-performance team members they trust, or even... Managers signing players they've signed before when they move the clubs. That trust is a is a huge part. It's all about managing the risk, as you said before, oh, in exactly. terms of um, you know these high important high profile roles. Um, it it's been a it's been a it's been a huge eye opening experience. It's it's definitely got me to think differently in terms of you know the day to day of it and and the actual care and the level of support and protection that goes around. Um, looking after professional players because no doubt in this industry, um, if if you know mega money owners or clubs can get away with things, I'm sure they would try. That's just the nature of the beast. But it does it does make me realise that you know this protection side. Um, you know, I'll never forget what you said there, mate. Thank you for sharing that. In terms of you know World Cup winners having to sell their medals, what 70 years ago compared to where we are now in terms of even players who've had modest careers being prepared for life after football and having something, a plan for after football and being taken care of in that respect. Uh, we all want to see that. We all want that to be part of this game for sure. Uh, last question. There might be, maybe down to you, there might be some people listening here who never considered this world, uh, but might start to think about it now because of how close it is to elements of coaching and elements of being a player. And maybe they thought as something way off in the distance that they would never get involved in. But if, you know, if those aspiring people are listening now, would you advise this as an industry to get into? Is it, <laughs> is it, um, is it good for your health over the long term, or, or what are you saying? I think um, don't expect overnight success. You know, that yeah. doesn't happen. It's a gradual process. Uh, yeah. Listen, I'm at the stage now where I, I love the industry. You know, I'm so, so happy being here because I've had experiences that I would never have had, you know, say if, I love coaching, for instance, I love coaching, but 
it's a long process, even longer than agency in the sense of mm. I've had exposure where I'm speaking to managers, you know, I'm speaking to directors yeah. of football, you know, people very high up in the game. And you know, that experience, you know, at my age, it's been, it's been incredible. Um, mm. So I think if you are looking to get into it, Please read regulations, read all the rules, get as much understanding as you can, because that's the first bit. You've got to make sure that you're doing things properly from the off. Um, and then when you get into the industry and you start learning, it's so rewarding because you know, when you start getting a good proper players, you know, you start understanding markets, you know, different um, different markets, for instance, moving players around. It's such an exciting industry. Um, you know, people talk about transfer deadline day and listen, we wish it was as glamorous as that every day. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, there's so many there's so many good factors about the industry. And I think so many people focus on the negatives. A lot of agents I speak to, they love their job. You know, they're so, so happy and you know, the experiences they've had traveling the world, you know, completing transfers, it's it's really, really rewarding. Um, and yeah, I think if, if you are looking to get into it, you know, it's hard work. You've got to really put a lot of time and effort into it. You know, nothing really comes to your lap. You know, it's you've got to go out there and work. It's tough. But, you know, in terms of what I've been exposed to, what I've learned, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big advocate for the industry. And you know, don't get me wrong. If you want to be a coach, be a coach. You know, yeah. great industry, players, all those different factors. I never say push it towards that area because, mm-hmm. listen, you know, I've tried being a player, understood like how, like, you know, a lot of, People I played with the pros, you know, what a great life, you know, what a great, what a great life life they live, especially with coaches as well, you know. And I just think with the agency side, you know, from what I've seen and what I've dealt with and the people I've come across, you know, I'm extremely grateful. And if you are looking to get into it, don't be prepared for an easy way into it. It's tough, but it's rewarding. And, you know, it's something where I look back at and think, you know, it's the exposure I've had at such a young age, I'm 26 now, to be able to speak to managers, you know, quite freely, speak to, you know, owners, directors of football, you know, it's an experience for me that's been incredible. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say, put it this way, you know, I'm very grateful that I stumbled across agency, I've come into it and I am where I am now. How do people, and, and you know, how do people get into it? You, you, it's not like you can agent on a Saturday for a local team and someone spots you and scout talents you and it's not like you can you know hire an agent to become an agent I suppose like how how does someone even begin to to get into it I think most people will self-admittedly say that you stumble across it you know a lot of agents yeah. uh, coaches or scouts uh, yeah. players uh, I've met some even for finance backgrounds who you know yeah. they've been in certain industries they know a lot of players you know, before even noticing it, they were moving players around before they were even agents, you know, just for conversation. Yeah. So yeah. then you realise, oh, do you know what? You know, it's, I can go into this. And a lot of people do come from, you know, coaching backgrounds, um, ex-players, all these different types of football backgrounds. But then there's, there's a lot of people as well, family members now, family members, you know, their son, for instance, plays for a team. They know everyone yeah. in the team and then they go into it. So mm. I think there's a lot of people that have approached me in terms of like from different industries, you know, worked as you know, lawyers, for instance, sport lawyers, and, you know, feel free to drop people like myself a message, speak to other people on LinkedIn, you know, it's you know, a lot of people more than happy to have these conversations because we were where you were before, you know, we've, we're almost thinking, you know, should we do this? You know, there's a lot of bad press or do we want to be called an agent? It sounds, you know, it doesn't sound right. Um, speak to people, realize if it's for you and then, you know, 
gather it, get a gauge for, you know, is this right? And is this type of industry for me? And like I said, I have a lot of conversations with people looking to get into it. And I always say it's a lot of hard work, really rewarding. And, you know, if you, after a couple of months, feel, you know what, this is right for me, you've got to go straight for it. You know, you've got to get as far into it as you can. Alice, you know, again, speaks to your character, the, the, the man you've become, you know, the, the selfless nature of you wanting to lift other people up as you go. And, you know, personally for me to see you succeed in doing so well is, is phenomenal. But wider than that, you know, we need more people in the industry who, you know, are offering, you know, the kind of support you're saying about there. And, and thank you again. That's exactly what the Pro Player Podcast was designed for. So can't thank you enough. Unbelievable oh, to you. give us this level of detail and time and and thank you mate and we wish you all the best and we hope to uh, maybe touch base with you at some point in the future cheers coffee thank you